we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. Welcome to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. And in the first segment of today's episode of Buffalo What's Next, we're going to talk about common council races here in the city of Buffalo. They're hotly contested in some districts. Others, uh, the candidates are again running unopposed, at least for the Democratic primary, which is coming up in late June. And as we all know, when it comes to city of Buffalo elections, uh, whoever wins that Democratic nod usually wins the general election. A candidate's forum is being planned by the League of Women Voters, Buffalo, Niagara. And here to talk about it with us from the League, Terry Parks. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Thank you very much for, for coming down and talking to us about this. All right, let's uh, There's a lot that goes in to putting these forums or debates on. I guess we'll use forum as the, as the specific nomenclature for this event. What needs to happen for both candidates to appear at this forum and okay. talk about the issues? What needs to happen? They, um, well, in this particular one, the league is, is co-sponsoring with Push Buffalo. Okay. And um, so the, the first thing that happens is Push and the league come to agreement on who's going to do what. Okay. And the league has um, very specific guidelines that we need to follow. And one of them is that um, there can be no, the term is empty chair debate, meaning there has to be at least two candidates. So if only one candidate um, agrees and signs, then you have to sign the rules that you will abide by the rules. And if only one candidate agrees, then that race cannot appear. And in this case, there are five separate races because there are five contested um, districts in the city. So that's um, that's one of the one of the things that goes on. And just to clarify, I know in a couple of the races there are more than two candidates. So let's just say there were four candidates, only two opted to show up. Then they would move forward with the debate, and the other two would not exactly. have a chance to say exactly. Okay, All right, and so good. for a candidate, I mean. This is a golden opportunity. It doesn't cost them a thing, all right? Right. And they have an opportunity to respond to the people who are attending, or in this case, and, and in many cases now, people can submit their questions in advance. So the questions come from the voters, all right? And they, um, it also gives the voters, and the, the league's the league's desire here is to educate the voters on what candidates feel and believe and plan to do about specific issues that they probably will face when they are in office. And, um, and also, all of the candidates for the same office respond to the same questions. Okay, so you don't get to duck that out. You have to answer the, exactly. the questions that are laid out. Are, are all the questions from the audience or 
not necessarily. Well, they all come from, they're all submitted. I mean, okay, all submitted questions. Right. You know, um, if the organizations that are participating have specific things, they can submit the questions. But all the questions are screened, and in this case, by a league member. And the the event will be moderated, and the timekeeping will be done by the league. That's part of what, part of that's what we do. Okay, um, we have a history of that, a long history. No doubt, no doubt about it. And thanks, very thankful for that because you know, let's be honest, when it comes to political debate, there's not a lot of places for it anymore, is there? And they're not what we see. There are not true debates. You know, you know, it's not a debate when all the candidates are not involved in the same issue. You, you really can't, you really can't make an educated um, response as a voter when you don't know how the candidates feel about the same issues. You said that the, the a member of the league will screen those questions. We screen the questions, and we screen them for. Of course, the fact that they must re, they must relate to issues, not to personalities. Okay. Thank uh, you for that. <laughs> profanity and you know, all sure. in, in, appropriate. Um, they also must relate to that particular elected office. So if you write a question that would be, you know, a United States senator would have to respond. <laughs> it's not appropriate. Right. And also for redundancy, so that we we and try to answer. We try to have as many different topics covered as the time allows. Um, this event will be June 6th at the Central Library from 6 to 8 p.m. And so we have a two-hour time frame. And uh, it is, to date, um, we, well, I didn't check my email this morning, right. but uh, as of last night, we had three candidates of the 11 and that's counting all five that different officially districts. responded. That have officially responded, right? And we have and, to. And if I'm not mistaken, what they when they respond, they have to agree to the rules. They have to agree to the rules. That's you know, and the rules I and mean, the rules are. I won't go through all of them. But, sure. Um, that one of them is that um, they will not uh, try to show parts of the event because. The event must only be shown in its entirety. Unless you are a, a licensed news outlet, then you can show snippets, you know. But um, it should not be broadcast or quotes used, you know, taken out of context. It must be shown in its entirety. And also, just to be clear, every candidate was notified. There's no doubt that they know that this forum is out there. Everyone received their invitations, and now they're receiving reminders. <laughs> reminders. Gentle reminders from the League I, of Women I, Voters. I think it's, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I get the feeling the League can be uh, gentle and, and maybe was, not so gentle. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, the, this was, the reminders are coming from our from our co-sponsor, but yeah, so. Right. What? It, is it unusual for candidates to wait closer to the deadline to respond? I would have to say um, it's a mixed. Okay. I'm going to say that's mixed, but yeah, some of them wait until close to the deadline. It all depends. We just did a whole series of school board candidate forums, okay? And those candidates generally respond pretty quickly. Okay. But um, and almost unanimously attend. That's excellent to hear. Mm -hmm. I'm appreciative of that, and disappointed I would have to say at this stage that there isn't more response from 
council candidates. I mean, you like you said, you this is an opportunity to, to get your thoughts on issues out onto the record. But it, when you hear that some aren't responding, it makes it seem like they're ducking the issues. You know where they could be. <laughs> you're not going. You're not going to bite on that opinion, are you? Um, but they know. also, you know, it, it it can be a campaign strategy too. Oh, really? Which is um, it's unfortunate um, because in order for anyone to say anything, I mean, they, you can't even say um, you can't even speak on on mic, okay, at any time during the forum. You can come to the forum and hang around and talk to the, uh, voters afterwards. And, you know, we always announce who's there, okay? But um, you can't make any statement of any kind unless your opponent is there. So um, if an opponent does not want to fit, go face-to-face with their, uh, you know, with, with the other opponent, they don't show. So, <laughs> so a candidate could come, even though they may not have... Agree right, to exactly. being part of the forum itself could no, be in I'm the talking audience. No, I'm talking about a candidate who's agreed to be okay. part of it. But they, if, if they, we wouldn't announce them if they hadn't. Uh, we have not had this experience, but other leagues have had the experience of the night of the forum. Um, they expect two candidates to be there and one candidate for, and sometimes it's very legitimate, okay? Sure. In emergency, but do, they don't show, so then here is this candidate um, who cannot, you know, who cannot speak, but can stay and hang around if they want and speak to people afterwards or before. Okay. And uh, you said uh, might be a, a strategy uh, to wait so long, or maybe not appear. What, 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 well, what are you thinking about that? I mean, it just—you know—it's hard to say why people say no. Right, can't read their people, minds okay, necessarily. Uh, yeah. Without, we had a recent example that kind of backfired. Only it didn't, but I won't. I won't go into it. Okay. But um, the, uh, you know, well, I'm just not gonna. You know, I I don't need that. I, I don't need that exposure. Was might, what a candidate might told be. You. That might be. Okay. 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 All right. So, so, yeah, that's that's interesting. But, it, it, you know, the league has a great tradition, of course, the League of Women Voters. Uh, it's got to be, I would. I wonder, is it disappointing, maybe even a little de- demoralizing for <laughs> league members when the participation isn't there? Definitely. Hmm. Definitely. Um, we have... We also do an online voters guide, which is uh, it's vote411.org. And this year we're not covering any primaries, but in the fall election we'll be covering basically county level offices and, and very likely the city council. Um, and candidates do not respond to those. Uh, and they, they, they write the they are invited. They um, write the answers to the questions that we pose on their own. Okay. And everything that's on the um, on vote41.org was the words or the miswords <laughs> <laughs> of the, <laughs> the punctuation right, of right. the candidates. Okay. And so and but um, and sometimes they don't respond to that either. And that and that will be. I mean, voteforwomen.org is will have uh, federal, state, and local elections. Okay, 
um, this election, of course, is a local election. Right, of course. And, and I was hoping, and, and of course it's still still time for candidates to respond here, but I was really hopeful for this, this forum because there are so many issues in the city of Buffalo, and you'd like to think that people who are elected to office believe in democracy and believe in open and public debate. And it's uh, it's disappointing it, that um, maybe some are like you said don't need the exposure they they think I guess that's that's always but you'd think that you'd want to be there to defend your record and and to talk about it as well. Yeah. Um, I know uh, the the league is involved in a couple of other things. One thing that you're also involved in is trying to get voters out, right? Try to get voters registered. Talk a little bit about that uh, that effort. We have a very active program for um, registering voters, and uh, we have at um, events all summer long, people will be going to events, and and we'll have voter registration opportunities. We do um, also, we're promoting, uh, we're promoting Youth in in a couple different ways. Uh, one, we have liaisons with each of the, uh, most of the colleges in the area, and a big part of our thrust there is that certainly the college and also high school students can can handle the voter registration in their schools. Uh, youth can pre-register from age 16. You can't vote till you're 18, but you can pre-register from 16, and so. Um, in the high schools, we have uh, we're really working to have get uh, have the league members come into high school classrooms as much as possible to uh, present um, issues-based voting, promoting for the youth that they think about issues that matter to them, and then track their candidates that are coming up and see okay how does how does this candidate feel about the particular issue, so that you we're trying to promote an educated, um, educated electorate, and uh, whenever possible, the league also um, has programs almost every month on issues related. You know, all many different issues. Many of them are the issues that we study ourselves. Many of them are the issues that are um, important in the community, and uh, they're open to the public. Again, it's trying to have an elect and that voters not just you know are informed and have good background on important issues. And is there good participation on that youth level? I mean, or is it so-so? It's so-so. Hit or miss, huh? It's you know sometimes sometimes you know it's it's better than <laughs> sometimes it's better than others. <laughs> Much <laughs> depends on you know. Um, whether it's picked up by the, you know, we, we promote it through all the, the media that we can and doing much more now with our social media. And um, so it depends on the, um, who sees what's going on. There's so much going on in the community. Right. You know, it's impossible to choose a date that's not going to conflict with <laughs> Somebody, something else. Right, right, right. <laughs> always, always. But this, uh, this candidate forum is set for June 6th at the Central Library in downtown Buffalo, and it's being put on by Push Buffalo and the League of Women Voters. And if somebody wants more information, Terry, where can they go? You know what? A very good place would be the League's website, or um, and that's lwvbn.org. 
Very good. Okay, Very good. and um, if they need any information or if they uh, are interested in if they're interested in participating with the league, mm. um, our, that website is a good place to go. Or our email is lwvbn at lwvbn.org. <laughs> so um, you can reach you can reach us there, and we will respond. And of course. We're always looking for uh, more people to be active with us and to join us. And uh, thank you for this opportunity. It's wonderful. Thank you, Terry Parks. And I'm just going to put a a little shout out to uh, uh, people who are listening in the city of Buffalo. If you see one of your candidates, they come up and knock on your door looking for petitions or a little support. Ask them, are they participating in the Candidates Forum? Let's make sure that the City of Buffalo issues are debated in public the way democracy is meant to be. Terry Parks, League of Women Voters of Buffalo, Niagara, thanks for all you do, and thanks for joining us on Buffalo What's Next. Thank you, Jay. More to come. Stick with us. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. One, two. Sounds great. Let's go. The podcast world is overflowing with more than 750,000 podcasts to choose from. But for great local podcasts, you can now go to one place, the new Amplify BTPM Pods app. Here you can discover content produced in Western New York and Southern Ontario, our own backyard. With a wide variety of genres to choose from, there is something for everyone. Listen to the best independently produced podcasts in the region anywhere, anytime. Download the free Amplify BTPM Pods app wherever you get your apps and begin exploring your local podcast community now. Attention, parents and teachers. Find free learning resources, including lesson plans and videos for all ages at pbslearningmedia.org. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. And uh, for the remainder of the program today, two guests with us. We'll have uh, Scott Barrett and Pete Johnson from Road Less Travel Productions. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us here. Thank you. Always uh, good to see you, Scott. My first time meeting you, Pete. Uh, but uh, you're doing some uh, important work at Road Less Travel, the bridge program. Absolutely. Tell Very me about important. that. Bridge Program is a program uh, that Scott and I developed, a uh, 16-week paid internship opportunity Uh, for early career artists of color uh, that are looking to get into the arts and theater industry. Um, It's kind of like my baby, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, As an artist myself, uh, I have a mission statement to help cultivate other early artists of color. Uh, It's something that, you know, for me, uh, I didn't really have. I didn't have a, a steady mentor or someone that I could learn from directly and learn skills from and how to navigate through the industry. Um, so that's something that I want to give back, you know, to other artists of color that are trying to figure out their way, uh, in the industry. Uh, it's certainly a lack of diversity, you know, in the industry. Uh, in, in, I come from a, uh, industry of, of theater as well as film, uh, film and television. Um, and that's kind of what the bridge program stands for. It's kind of bridging the gap, 
okay, to create that diversity uh, in the arts industry just in general. How about that, Scott, then? The idea that, you, you know, like Pete was saying, the, the diversity still isn't there, which seems kind of odd to even say. You know, when I think of when it comes to leading the way for diversity, I think of the arts. Uh, but yet it's there's still more to be done. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I, I think, you know, we have to remember where we live, where we come from. Right. You know, Buffalo in itself has been a, a segregated community for a long time. I think that, of course, you know, we've been I think the community at large now has recognized the importance of wanting to break down some of those barriers. Uh, and in our theater community, uh, you know, Pete and I had talked, you know, we started working together a, a number of years ago. I mm -hmm. think we've known at least 10 years ago. I think we've known each other. At Maybe least more. Long, right. long. <laughs> and, uh, and over the years, you know, Pete and I had had a lot of conversations, you know, about not only the state of our community at large, but also the state of our theater community. And one of the things that kept coming up was uh, this, uh, this question of opportunity, right? Where we, we, you know, and how do people feel safe, you know, in some of our artistic institutions? Where do they, how do they feel safe? How do they feel welcome? You know, where do they see the opportunity for themselves to work and live in, as an artist in our community, as a theater artist particularly? And, you know, we, we had some really um, deep conversations, you know, uh, coming out of COVID uh, and uh, after what happened, I think, with George Floyd and uh that and those conversations led us to to think about solutions right and we i've always been very interested in solutions and uh and pete said i'm interested in those kinds of solutions as well and uh so we started talking and brainstorming and that sort of laid the the groundwork for this bridge program and why i think the bridge program is so important for us and for our community is that it addresses something. Uh, how do people? How do people find those opportunities? Right. Right. How do they find? Uh, you know, so much because of our. It's interesting because you said safe places, and I would think if you're an yeah. actor, I'm thinking more mm -hmm. actors than necessarily writers or whatever. But if you're in the theater as an actor, safety, feeling feeling safe has got to be key to being able to perform, right? Absolutely. You know, for me as a performer myself. Um, Sometimes, especially after what happened on May 14th, you don't know where you're safe at, right? Mm -hmm. And um, thinking that you're in a, a place to be able to practice your art, you know, as an artist, you don't know who's in the audience, right? Like, uh, as a performer, you know, the lights are on me. I can barely see who's in the audience. Um, so, yeah, you do want to feel safe, you know? You want to be able to, 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 to have a safe place to perform, to, to cultivate your craft, Um we would think that a grocery store would be that safe place, you know, in your own community. Um, but we've been proven otherwise, you know. So, yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, Scott's goal to be able to create a safe haven, you know, for artists to be able to go to to perform, that was that was very key. Those conversations, like you said, those hard conversations that you were having, um, the idea of intentionality as well and making not just a – an opportunity, but making it really happen. Now, how do you go about doing that? How do you go about making this this program a reality? Well, so I, those conversations led us, I think, on a path to talk about what, how we thought that a program like this could really have impact, right? And 
it was important for Pete and I to not only provide this mentor inter- internship experience for someone in all in any kind of our theater uh, disciplines. So, like we offer actors, designers, directors, uh, stage managers, right? Um, but then to follow that through with not only th- having that mentor in the community that can vouch for the person that they're working with, right? Uh, but then providing this network opportunity because so much of how you know you get a job in Buffalo Theater is about who you know and who can vouch for you in that way. So to create that network along with this opportunity to gain some more experience and see how we do things at a professional theater level in Buffalo. Um, and then hopefully each year, these uh, graduates of our program then will continue to work in the Buffalo theater and be introduced in a way to the rest of the theaters to um, create that conduit, so to speak. And so you already have your class, so to speak, of, of people that are being mentored. Are they uh, called mentees? Well, no, yeah, no, no, mentees, mentees. Mentees, absolutely. We yeah. have just uh, recently celebrated the first inaugural graduating class oh, okay. of, the, uh, of the Bridge Program. Um, originally, when we, you know, I, 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 we have an entire marketing plan where I, I visit colleges, um, I visit, you know, other organizations, anyone that's interested, you know, in the theater, you know, community and, and being an artist, whether it's on stage, off stage, you know, I kind of do uh, a recruitment season, right? Sure. Um, so we were really, really surprised at uh, the amount of applicants that we got. We even got op- applicants that weren't in the area uh, oh. that were, you know, willing to travel to Buffalo just for this experience. Because, again, uh, there's really nothing like this, right, That's that, that I've come across. That's why it was important for us to sure. develop it. Um, so this year we actually – originally we were shooting for, what, maybe two to three people to, to kind of come through. Um, I was really excited. It was a surreal experience. We came out with five. Wow. Uh, with, with five students that all had their head on straight, that were passionate, uh, that were dedicated, that were uh, – really just, you know, that that wanted to create a career for themselves in the theater world. Um, I think during the interview process, I came to Scott the next day and I said, you know, I was getting uh, the chills because this this is it's really happening for us. And I was really impressed uh, with the people that interviewed. And so they've gone through the process uh, with their with their assigned mentors. They've been dedicated. Uh, and we recently had a networking event, you know, for them that introduced them to the theater community and to other artistic directors and other stage managers and people in the theater industry. Uh, we create resumes for them, you know, as well uh, to, to give them uh, something to to showcase their work, you know, what right. they can do. Um, so, and, and some of them have already been hired, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, and that, really. And that, so it's, we've, it's working. We some of them are going to work for us next year already. Now in in in, that, in a capacity, and then uh, and some of them have already moved on to other programs. You know, uh, uh, through uh, I think their own uh, interest and enthusiasm. So mm-hmm. it's and not just actors that we no no no. So we only we had really one surprised. actor. Only yeah. one actor. Only yeah. one. Only yeah. One. We were surprised. We had two stage managers in that in that class and. Um, and, um, we had a lighting, we, well, we had, I'm sorry. So we had two stage managers. We had, uh, one actor. We also had a sound designer as well. And then we also had an assistant director. 
And why why that's so important, Jay? And I mean, I was we were thrilled because out of the designers and the the technical people in Buffalo Theater, that's probably the lowest rate of diversity that you that we'll see. Right. So to, to to actually have that kind of impact right away, uh, I was I was we were thrilled. So can you explore that? They're interested. In, I mean, let's follow that then. You know, these candidates who came through and they, they wanted to be stage directors, they wanted to be in lighting, they wanted to be in sound. I mean. Well, let me, let me just tell you, in, yeah. in, in, my, in my experience, um, I get asked on a regular basis, you know, how does someone get started? How does someone get into it? Now, for myself, um, I've been a professional actor, you know, for the last 15 years, um, stage as well as, you know, film and television. I also have a master's degree, you know, for someone off the street, that could be intimidating, right? So, like, this program is where someone essentially would get their start. Um, and there is a big misconception when people think about theater, they always think about acting. Yes. Um, for me, theater, and I tell that my students, you know, as a professor, I tell you know, theater is a collaborative effort, right? It's a collaborative thing. So you need the stage manager. You need the lighting designer. You need the sound designer. You need the costume designer. So there's so many more jobs that's available other than just performance. Uh, and that's kind of what, you know, the, the, the aspect that I want to push to say, hey, you don't always have to be the performer. Uh, you know, if you have a knack for clothing and you know how to put outfits together to reflect certain errors or a certain feel, then maybe a costume designer is where you should you should be heading um, for someone that has organization skills and that knows how to um, coordinate things. Maybe you want to be a stage manager. So I, I think that it was, you know, trying to speak to the students to kind of find out what are their strong suits and then place them accordingly, you know, to what they were interested in and what their skill level was. We heard some really great feedback, too, initially from uh, people who were not only looking to maybe expand their own knowledge, right, in, in their craft, for, which really excited them about this program. But one of the things that we heard consistently was that uh, a lot of our applicants were just looking for the way in. They were looking for the way in because I think for early career artists of color, that has been a barrier for a long time. Like, how do we get into sometimes very much a white-centric uh, community? And, uh, and, and, and to be able to do what we've done even so far. And now this program will continue. I, I do want to say that post meeting with Pete and coming up with the plan for this, we had to go and raise some money then for this program as well because this is a paid internship right. program. The mentors are also paid so that they're giving their full commitment to this program. Uh, the John R. O'Shea Foundation was our, our major funder uh, for this, and we feel, and the Margaret L. Went Foundation also contributed to this program, uh, as did uh, NISCA, the New York State Council on the Arts. Uh, we got some really great feedback um, NISCA actually came to us once they heard about this program and said, we want to fund this program. Um, that's all uh, amazing. And we're excited because this is not just a one-off, right? I was, we did not so want this to be. We're oh, going no, no, this is we're, absolutely. Our plan right now is we've got at least five years now planned out to five this program years. because we want to collect the data. We're going to track where our graduates go, what they do. Um, because we're going to try and continue to have this evolve, and and we're, we want to flood the 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 Buffalo theater community with artists of color, and uh, you know, and then, you know, it, it's going to expand the level of work 
that producers can do in town. It's going to expand the level of work that uh, all of us can partake in, I think. And so, uh, already recruiting then for uh, the next class? Or we will, yeah. So we, we begin the actual recruiting process. Uh, it, it starts, applications open in the fall. So um, my target audience is, you know, some of the colleges where we, you know, I kind of, I visited Buff State, I visited uh, Niagara, you know, so I, I, we, we start at the college level. Um, I also, you know, recruit at, you know, even from the college level, like um, different organizations of color and things of that sort that maybe that have artistic flair to it, you know, so uh, we do that. But I, I think also in one of the, Scott, the, the points that, that, that Scott was also making is that for artists of color, um, when we at when they ask where do they begin, a lot of times you know they they want to begin in you know the the quote unquote uh, black theaters right so we have the Paul Robeson Theater we have the Ujima Theater, um, but there's so many other theaters outside of that and I think the 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 hardest barrier is to how do you cross over into other uh, you know white theaters right how how do you do that you know. Um, as a, a as an African American artist myself, I don't want to be just limited to the quote unquote black theaters here. You sure, know? Uh, I want to work in other theaters and I want to do other bodies of work as well. The Bridge Program is creating you know doors to 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 be able to open for that. And just touching on something that Scott said, that the doors maybe weren't open for actors, artists of color. How was it for you when you started? Um. So. <laughs> I think that, you know, for me, the, the, the phone rang often only because there was, there, there was uh, again, a gap. And when I say that is that um, there were artists of color that didn't know of the other white theaters or, or maybe were hesitant on working in the white theaters. And the white theaters, per se, did not have awareness of who the, 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 the artists of color that, of performance were. Right. So like they did, you know, so so as a result, some of the the theaters, the white theaters couldn't perform certain pieces of work because they didn't have artists of color to me to be able to fill those roles. Right. Sure. So as a result, what do they do? They pass on the plays, you know, because oh, we don't we don't have enough black actors to be able to to do this show um, for me, because there was a, a, a quote unquote shortage of black actors. Right. And for me being in the community. I didn't have a problem working, right? Okay. But you know, but the, the the thing was was that I wanted to be able to create the opportunity for more artists of color to be able to come on that journey and work at these other theaters with me. And what about that? Now you're you're the guy, Scott, that uh, picks these plays for Road Less Traveled. What about some of the selections you've made? Have you gone through that where you you just didn't think maybe you had the the the, the stock of artists to to choose from to to uh, properly have the proper personnel for the play. Well, I, it's, 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 I'm glad you asked that Jay, because, you know, I co-founded Road Less Traveled. This is our 19th season. And when I started Road Less Traveled, um, it just so happened that a lot of our early work touched on a lot of these social issues, plays about racism or poverty or social injustice or, um, and we started working with a, a, a a bunch of artists of color in in those early days and then it, it sort of you know this was also about sort of my own pov right on on who i wanted to work with and i also early on really became obsessed with the idea of the universal audience the idea that we could do a piece of work and have everybody in the room 
everybody in the room to experience that piece of theater, that piece of art, so that we weren't just targeting a niche audience of people, right? Uh, in terms of race, race uh, age, gender, whatever, right? Um, that led me sort of on a path. And as Road Less Traveled grew, uh, my favorite story to tell about this is that I really wanted to produce this play called The Last Days of Judas Iscariot by Stephen Adley Girgis. Uh, and this was back in 2011. And at that point, we had done plays about some of these issues. We had done plays with all casts, casts that were all uh, artists mm -hmm. of color. We had done, you know, um, a variety of those kinds of things. But I didn't see the audience reflecting even sort of like some of that work at okay. times. And I knew that I needed a really diverse group of people to put on The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. And I, I remember at that time I went out and I reached out. I met uh, Victoria Perez and Rolando Gomez and I met Phil Davis. Phil Davis, uh, uh, this terrific African-American director, producer, writer guy, you know, he was he was bringing 300 people to a, a banquet hall on dinner the theater. east side doing yeah. dinner, dinner theater, theater. plays yeah. that he yeah. wrote that were like two and a half hours long yeah. and with a cast of all uh, uh, artists of color. Yeah. Right. And he and I, I he said and I, I met him and I said, well, you I want you to be in this show. And he said, "Well, you got to see this thing." I want you to bring your audience thing. with you, but well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but right. but I want to, I want to, I want to see like the other stuff that that he was doing. So I remember I went to, to one of his shows uh, with John Elston and Gina yeah. Gandalfo, my manager. director. We were the only three white people in this room, like three hundred people, right? <laughs> right? I remember and, that. And they were having, <laughs> a, they were having a, and they were having a great show, time. Yeah. You were in the show. I was in the show. <laughs> Phil Davis is, is is a very very special friend of mine, He's like a brother of mine. Shout out to Phil Davis. But I, I think that that was the night I met you, and you met Barry Williams as well. Like, so I know? met so one of uh, the actors in the lead actor in that show because I was looking for more artists of color because it was always a struggle. It was always yeah. a struggle because. Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, it they didn't feel welcome in a lot of places to right. even come and audition. They didn't think that there was that opportunity. And if you don't think there's any opportunity, you're not going to show up. Right. So we were. I, I felt it was my job at that point. I needed to go and experience and find and look for if I wanted to do that kind of work, right? So I met Barry Williams. Barry Williams ended up being in my ensemble. He ended up being in that sh in that show, and uh, and and I think that's a great example. So and 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 now and you know what? We did that show, and we started a trend right around there. Then I think in those years where we started working more towards uh, that real idea of that universal audience. And just even to piggyback off of what Scott is saying. Again, you know, it's a pleasure for me to work with him uh, on this program, but not only that, just as a friend. Scott also was one of the first people in the town to be able to cast roles um, that didn't have, that wasn't race identified, right? So I have played roles at his theater uh, that were originally cast for white actors, right? Um and that's a part of his vision, his vision to do that, because not only that, from putting me in a, in a lead role uh, that was originally cast for a white actor, it changes the dynamic. OK, and now it makes it a completely, you know, uh, different feeling of a type show, because now you're, you're giving an artist of color, um, putting him in a role that was traditionally set for a white actor. But what other elements is he dealing with? being a actor of color in that situation, right? 
So he's done that. And, and I don't know many artistic directors uh, around town that hasn't done that. But again, it, it, it basically this is something that is complementing his universal appeal that he's that he's been striving for. I'm going to ask the question, and I, I think mm-hmm. I already know the answer. You grew up in this area. You grew up in the city. You live here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you run into racism? Of course. You know, um, I have had a, a very interesting uh, reflection on this, an interesting experience, right? So, and, and when I say that, I, I grew up on Buffalo's east side. Uh, my parents, you know, made sacrifices for me, and they sent me to uh, to private private high school, St. Joe's, right? I'm very proud to be an alumnus of there. Um, but growing up on Buffalo's east side, I kind of dealt with identity crisis. And what I mean by that is that um, I knew on Buffalo's east side, because I was going to a suburban school, I didn't fit in with the kids in my neighborhood, right? Because I was the, the, the guy that was wearing a shirt and tie catching the bus. Then when I got to school as well, uh, I was, you know, the minority. So I'm, you know, maybe five blacks of, of a class of 200. Um, so I've always kind of struggled with this identity thing. Uh, and racism has always kind of been in that forefront, you know, being uh, five of a class of 200. I dealt with it in so many different ways. Uh, I think for me, uh, I had to learn to identify with who I was as an individual because I wasn't fitting in in either crowd. But, you know, um, once I, I began began to be comfortable with who I was, that's when the things of, of, of race, it didn't bother me as much. Okay. Because I, I, I was comfortable with who I was at that point. I want to ask you then a question, and both of you to try to handle it. It uh, goes out there a little bit in terms of being a kind of a conceptual question, but in the idea of conversations, we, we've been, that's really kind of the genesis of this program is to have conversations about race. What about in the theater community? Is that something, again, I, I kind of look to the arts to lead the way on these types of things, but is it something that you have found, Pete, and that you maybe have seen throughout your growth of almost 20 years of running the, the program where the conversations are becoming, if nothing, for lack of a better term, more comfortable, that it's just part of what we talk about. It's there, there is an open sense of dialogue that can happen where people can grow to understand each other. What have you seen? I'll, I'll let either of you take it, uh, take it from the top here. I think it's, it's been a, a double, you know, double-edged sword. And what I mean by that is this, this program, uh, and I, I just confided in Scott about this the other day, I expected uh, marketing wise for this thing to explode, right? Because this it's one of a kind. It's a great opportunity. Right? Great, no doubt. Absolutely. I don't know, uh, and I think that, you know, years to come we'll 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 see, but I don't know if the first year, if the overall masses of the public was very accepting as of yet. You know, and what I mean by that was, you know, we expected the cover of the Buffalo News. We expected the gusto. We expected the sprees. We expected everyone to talk about this program um, in which they have been receptive. But marketing wise, um, it's been, oh, yeah, that's great. Hmm. It's great what you guys are doing, you know. Um, so I don't know if from the masses as of yet, if it's been uh, well received. And, and again, we're, we're going into year two. We're going to have more data. We're going to have a lot more things. So we expect we expect uh, more outlets 
to be provided media wise, you know, to promote this program. Um, but, you know, we were we were fighting an uphill battle, you know, the, the first year, you know, uh, it was very successful. But, you know, um, we appreciate the opportunity to come on your show and talk about this. But, you know, we expected a lot more, you know, especially in the beginning. And I think that people are kind of sitting on the sidelines, kind of observing right now just to see, you okay. know, how, how, how effective it will be. Want to follow up on that, Scott? Yeah. Um, so one of my mentors, actually one of, one of Pete's mentors as well, mm-hmm. Steve McKinley Henderson, who is, uh, is, a, is a great friend and uh, he's on our national advisory board. Uh, and he's been part of my journey um, with a lot of these kinds of questions for a long time. Um, uh, his wife, Pam Henderson, actually helped us create our uh, racial equity vision statement as we were creating the bridge program uh, a couple of years ago. That's the kind of work that she's involved in. Um, but in terms of what we know about like our Buffalo theater community and our Buffalo audience, right? You know, Steve said something really important to me a long time ago. He said, you know, people want to see a reflection of themselves on stage, right? So it was important uh, to recognize that at some point, like, you know, we want to see stories about people who look like us and do things like us and stuff like that, right? So to gain that universal audience, we have to be showing you know, a universal uh, bent on the world, like how, how our world actually looks, right? And feels and operates. And then taking that one step further, I think it's so important to recognize that, you know, we have lived in a segregated community. There has been a lot of racism in our community for a long time. And that the idea that the arts can tell stories, like we've told stories about race, we oh, did a man. play called Race. Race. <laughs> he that was I, in yeah, it. That, I helped start. I mean, and, and, I mean, and, and that and Pete was a lawyer, you right. know, that that uh, uh, helped argue a case about a a, a a a white guy who was accused of a terrible act, and 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 the, and all the social themes dealt with race. Uh, in the same year, I produced a play called Clyburn Park up the street mm-hmm. at, at Shea 710. And that play is specifically about white flight in our community and more and more topics about how we deal with each other as a community. How how can we tell the same joke? Can you, Jay Moran, and I say tell the same joke that maybe has like a racial twist to it and have what what does that mean? Right. And well, what are we you know, I mean, that there's a lot of. There's a lot of ground that we, I feel that Road Less Traveled has covered. And now going forward, I think that we're all trying, and I think our Buffalo Theater community in the last few years too has definitely made a commitment, uh, in a, a much bigger commitment to the idea that this is also about now educating now our audiences as well, that like the ground going forward is going to be different than, than what it was before, right? And that... We all need to strive to eliminate those barriers, create more opportunities, because the more that we the more that we commune together here, Jay, I mean, I just built a whole new bar and lobby in our in our in our theater. And one of the things about that is I want all those people to come out after the show. I don't care what they look like to like sit and talk to each other, put away their phones and, you know, have a conversation about what they just saw, what they're. What they're feeling is make make new friends, right. you know, like in this in this segregated community that we live in, like it's important that like we try and, you know, meet other people, you Absolutely. know, commune with other people. And the arts can definitely be the nucleus yeah. for that. 
We're talking with Pete Johnson and Scott Barron today from uh, Road Less Traveled Productions here in Buffalo. Uh, we're coming down to our last 10 minutes. And, uh, gentlemen, I really appreciate your approach to the topics that we've uh, gone to here. But I want to give you a little time also, a little space for both of you to talk about other elements that are coming up as well. I mean, I know, like, you you dropped it in there, Scott. You found a way that you just finished your 19th season. So that means the 20th <laughs> season's coming up at Road Less Travel. What's, hap- what's happening? What, what, well, what, what's going on at Road Less Travel? I mean, there's always something. First of all, I'm still alive, Jay. So, I mean, that's really exciting. 20 years of, of doing Road Less Travel. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've built three theaters. We're on our third theater here at 456 Main Street between Mohawk and Court. We just built this brand new lobby. We have a this amazing bar and 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 now we have an entire brand new facility so to speak that we're really proud of and next year is our 20th anniversary season we've just announced you know uh, our four plays for for next year uh you know one of the things i'm i'm super looking forward to direct next season is uh is uh, we're going to do a revival which we don't do very often but we're doing arthur miller's all my sons hmm. sean cullen is coming back to uh-huh. star as uh joe keller uh, but then it's also going to feature a very diverse group of people on that show who also are the, the people who live in the community with the Kellers. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about uh, digging into that story and how it's relevant today. Not to put any pressure on, but it's, can Pete... Uh, oh, man, you know what? It, when I tell you, he, he tried to get me... I got a cruise book during that same time. And I, I I wanted to be a part of the show, but I could I couldn't turn down this cruise, man. So you know, but uh, you know, he he told me to keep my schedule available for 2024. So. Okay, All right, very good. What else? You guys, uh, I know so some real quick else. on that. So uh, two shows that we lost that we had to cancel yes. because of COVID are coming back. Uh, we're finally getting to mount those. We're doing our first real musical, Murder Ballad, uh, which is going to start the season. We don't usually do musicals, but this is The Road Less Traveled, and I think right. this is the musical for, for us. Uh, and then at the end of the season, we're bringing back The Curious Case of the Watson Intelligence. Uh, this was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize, and it's about all the iterations of Watson in history, like Dr. Watson, the computer from IBM, the guy who answered the first telephone call, and then set against an interesting relationship play. Figure that one out. <laughs> right. But it, it's very, it's very cool. Uh, and then we're doing a, uh, a, the second production ever of a play by Ike Holter, who is uh, an African American playwright who's had a lot of success in Chicago and some in New York, called The Light Fantastic. Um, which I'm also co-directing with John Hurley. And it's sort of a Stranger Things meets um, maybe The Exorcist, but mm. then maybe also the funniest comedy that you've ever seen. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about that one, too. Um, yeah. And then, you know, to celebrate the 20th anniversary, and I think this is very apropos for what we've been talking about here, I really wanted to come up with something that was going to be special as a thank you to the Western Air community for all their support for 20 years of work. And luckily, I was able to get M&T Bank and Highmark to work with us, to part- partner with us on this. They are the, the co-sponsors for this. It's called our All Access Fridays uh, for, for our 20th anniversary season. So the very first Friday of each of our runs is going to be free and open to the public as a thank you to Buffalo. Nice. And we're working with Arts Access, uh, and uh, uh, also we are teaming up with a whole bunch of uh, uh, media outlets to basically help us uh, um, use that as a conduit to help us reach a, a diverse, underserved, 
and hopefully new to the theater population uh, and bring them to our theater and, and uh, expose them to, uh, to our work. So. Yeah. You know, Pete Johnson, I was at uh, Buff State commencement on Saturday, so I know oh. school has ended for the yeah. for the uh, for the spring. What's uh, what's on tap for you? So, uh, of course, uh, I will tell everyone uh, the bridge program applications open in the fall. Um, I also am a partner in a uh, local casting company called Casting Buffalo. Uh, we're an independent casting uh, agency. We work directly with productions. We cast film, um, television, commercials, and things of that sort. Uh, we do have a pretty big event coming up this summer. I'd love to be able to come back to your show and talk about it. I uh, can't let too much out can't, the bag right now. No, oh, not too much oh. out the bag right now. Uh, but we also, you know, and, and also to piggyback off of uh, Scott's show, All My Sons, um, Casting Buffalo will also be doing a speaker series with Sean Cullen, uh, kind of like the Inside the Actors Studio uh, where we kind of interview him um, and kind of find out his story and his road to success. I'm gonna, I don't want to be a spoiler here, but just keep this in mind. You're a St. Joe's guy. He's yeah. from Timon. You think you can? <laughs> That's guys, all right. You know, I, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put our differences aside for a night. <laughs> okay. all right. Very nice. Very nice. And what about any anything? You know, like you're. Are you always? Doing things. I'm always, always I'm moving. always doing things. You know, um, from the acting standpoint, I'm always auditioning. Um, you know, you you see me a lot. I do a lot of uh, television, films, Lifetime, Hallmark Channel, things of that sort. Um, so I do have some movies that are getting ready to come out this year. You know, as well, I have a film um, that was directed by Robin Givens uh, that also stars Mercedes Buell. Um, it's called The Nana Project. Uh, we don't have an actual release date, but that's going to be a big one to come out later this year. Yeah, what are you playing that? Uh, I play it's it's about uh, this elderly lady that kind of lives in this nursing home, and uh, she's a, like a chess champion. But it's a good family story. But I played the director of the nursing home that's kind of like shady. That's kind of like oh. <laughs> Maybe pocketing some money here and there, but so you know. you're not always a nice guy in your parts, huh? Oh man, you gotta gotta switch it up. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Uh, we're coming down to the last couple of minutes here. How about just some thoughts about this? We've talked about race, building racial conversations. How about play suggestions? Things that people either they could read, they could go find out. I'll, uh, let's start with you, Scott. We'll get Pete finish and uh, take it from there. Yeah, put you on the spot a little bit there. I think one of the most important plays of the last, let's say, decade about these kinds of topics for me was Clyburn Park. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It's written by Bruce Norris. And uh, because it not only looks at, I think, what happened, what's happening now, but it looks at some of the seeds of some of how these things began 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Um in terms of like how certain places have become more segregated, et cetera, and, and how we're trying to deal with each other now, what we think is appropriate. I mean, clearly the conversation now culturally about what, you know, what, what one can say, what one cannot say, what is off limits, what are the things that we should be talking about, should I think be, is yeah. really important. All right, Pete. Uh, for myself, I think it's, you know, Clyde Park is a spinoff, but I'm going to go back to the original and say A Raisin in the Sun. Uh, I had the great opportunity to, to kind of uh, play that role in, in, in Star and A Raisin in the Sun. And let me just tell you, it's it's a very much a relatable role uh, and a relatable play just about the struggle of African-Americans um, in the 50s coming, you know, transitioning into today. Um, and just it, it gives a lot of relatively of what African-American men go through, um, trying to support their family, trying to work, uh, experiencing uh, racism on the job and um, how just to 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 be su- successful 
you know, uh, in America. Uh, so my, my recommendation is Raising the Sun. All right, Raising the Sun, Clyburn Park, Scott Barron, Pete Johnson from Road Less Travel Productions. Thanks for the conversation today. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. I also want to thank Terry Parks from League of Women Voters. Hopefully they'll get those candidates for the candidates form. Step up and be part of democracy candidates. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOL and Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.